We're especially glad to have Brother Tess Stewart here with us this morning. If he'd like to come, we want him to bring the word this morning. The Stewart preach to us. Amen. God bless you. Let's just give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning. Come on, he deserves the glory. He deserves the adoration. He deserves the honor. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. We serve an awesome God, and I like what I feel in this house today. I always say I never want to get to the place where I begin to take the presence of God for granted. It's easy sometimes for it to become so commonplace that we come to the house of God and we feel the presence of God that we can begin to trivialize it. And we lose the awesome wonder that the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will manifest himself and inhabit our praise. I believe in an atmosphere like this, anything can happen. Any situation can be turned around. Any soul, any spirit can be lifted, and it can happen here today. I do want to give honor to Pastor Hughes and his absence and Sister Hughes, the leadership here of this wonderful church. I, I believe this is my uh, first time here, and uh, I had a thought this morning. I guess when you kind of walk into a church for the first time, you you just kind of quick glance and you kind of try to take it all in little bit without looking like you're staring and I kind of took a quick glance in here and I had a thought that I've never had before first thought when I walked in was is that brother Bernard up there playing the saxophone I'm not sure who that brother is but I'm sure he, he gets told many times he looks a lot like our own Bishop David Bernard and that was that was my welcome to greater life this morning amen I believe there's a word from God for somebody here. And what I'm going to say might sound a little bit strange, but I hope that there are needs in the house this morning. And I say that because I know that God is here to meet you at your point of need. And when I talk about needs this morning, I'm not talking about the trivial, mundane, everyday needs that we all have, the basic needs of life. I'm talking real needs, things that God and only God can address in your life, real emotional healing, real spiritual healing, a touch from God that you have to have, a situation that you can't control or handle by yourself. I believe God is here to meet people at your point of need, and I believe that God wants to open your eyes and understanding to what he desires to do in your times and places of need. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Second Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. And in this passage of scripture, we read about four men who find themselves in a time of dire, remarkable need in their lives. A situation that is almost unimaginable to find yourself in a situation of such complete and utter need. But I believe that God wants to open somebody's understanding to what's possible in your need and through your need. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 3, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. 
hope I never get into a place of such need, lack of options in my life. But I want to preach here for the next few minutes on the simple subject, the need for a need. The need for a need. God wants to open somebody's understanding in your times and places of need to the possibility that God has a purpose and that God desires to use your need to do something great. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence. We thank you for your anointing that we feel in this house. I ask you now, God, for these next few minutes, anoint my mind, anoint my spirit. Give me your words to speak to the hearts and minds of your people, God. Let this word become a living word that will take root in our hearts and in our minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may know, undoubtedly most of you don't know, that I was raised on the mission field. My parents were longtime missionaries with the United Pentecostal Church in Liberia, West Africa. We spent some 33 years on the mission field there. And it's always neat to be an American uh, being raised overseas, and you get to view the American culture, the American mindset from both the inside and the outside. And it's a unique perspective on the way we think and the way we are. I, I, I can say that there is so much to be admired about the American spirit, the American attitude, that, that attitude, that stick to It's an attitude that says, if I need something to happen, I can make it happen. I can apply myself. I can put my shoulder to the wheel, and I can, I can will some things to happen. It's a great thing. It's, a, it's kind of an independence and uh, something that we have in our spirit that I believe uh, many times is to be admired. But I'm convinced that if we're not careful, we will also run the risk of finding ourselves like the church of Laodicea. The Bible says the church of Laodicea had need for nothing. And because they were so self-sufficient, because they were so able to rely on themselves and able to do and perform so much for themselves, they had forgotten how to rely on God and how to lean on God in their times and places of need. Let me tell you this morning that it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how, how, how brave you are. It doesn't matter how wise you are. Eventually, you will find yourself in a time or place of need that you can't work your way out of. You'll find yourself in a time or place of need that you can't fight your way out of and will your way out of. And you're going to have to have a God who's bigger than you to be able to handle some situations that you find yourself in. And because of the way we approach times and places of need, most often in our times and places of need, we view those as times and places of defeat. We view those as times and places of weakness and vulnerability. It's often in our times and places of need that we allow the enemy to attack our minds and attack our faith. I said a few minutes ago that I'm convinced that God is here this morning to meet you at your point of need. But let me tell you just as assuredly as I know that God is here to meet you at your point of need, I can tell you just as assuredly that the enemy also desires to meet you at your point of need. And the devil would like nothing more than for his voice to be the voice that you listen to in your times and places of need. The enemy would like nothing more than for you to hear the voice of discouragement and despair 
despair and disillusionment and confusion in your time of need. But I've come to challenge somebody. It's time to look even in your times and places of need and say, I refuse to hear the voice of the enemy. But even in my place of need, I'm going to hear the voice of faith. I'm going to hear the voice of destiny. I'm going to hear the voice of possibility. I'm going to hear the voice of hope. I'm not going to hear the voice of discouragement, even in my times and places of need. My God. What you'll find is that the same situation that the enemy would want to use to make you give up, God would want to use to make you get up. The same situation the enemy would want to use to discourage you, God would use to take you higher and take you somewhere you've never been before. I'm telling you this morning that most often we see our times and places of need as times and places of weakness and vulnerability. But I want to open somebody's minds to the possibility that that time or place of need can be a place of great potential. It can be a place where you find yourself uniquely positioned for the radical, uniquely positioned for the supernatural, uniquely positioned for the miraculous. And if you're here this morning without a true relationship with God, hear me when I say that your need can be the vehicle that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be. I believe that my attitude about need or my willingness to see need as a possibility comes from a bit, some things in my past. I used to counsel. I used to be a substance abuse counselor, and I used to counsel juvenile felons. And I believe it's in this process that I began to see need in a different way. Because what would happen on a daily basis in in that field, what would happen on a daily basis is that every day clients would walk through our office doors and I could take one look at their file, one look at their lives, and I could see immediately a great need for change. The way they were living their lives was destroying them. It was destroying every relationship in their life. And ultimately, it was going to cost them everything, including their life. And I would see clients on a daily basis that desperately needed to change. But the sad reality was that for every client that had those radical changes take place, we probably had 30 or 40 come through our doors and leave unchanged. The success rate is woefully low in those kinds of facilities. And for me, it was, pro- it, it, it was difficult for me because it was more than just a job. It was more than just a paycheck. It was a ministry for me. I wanted more than anything to see lives changed and people renewed to their relationship with God, their purpose in God. And, but there was a principle I began to see, something I first uh, observed in my clients, and I began to incorporate this into my counseling, into my teaching. And it was simply this principle, that the kind of radical need, the kind of radical change that needed to take place was never going to happen until the need for change became greater than the desire to remain the same. My God, I'll say that again. The need for change had to become greater than the desire to remain the same. And I was very intentional about where I used need and desire because it wasn't a need to remain the same, but they were bound by a strong desire to remain the same. And that desire was further strengthened by their own bodies were working against them. Everything about their social circle, their lifestyle, it was all conspiring to strengthen this desire to keep them where they were. 
The reality was that most of my clients came through our doors with some desire to change. They had some measure of a desire to change, but that desire to change would never become great enough to overcome the even greater desire to remain the same. And I begin to recognize I've got to get my clients beyond a simple desire to change. And I've got to get them to the place where they recognize and embrace a very real need for change. If I can make them believe God created me to be more than this, if I can make them believe there's a greater purpose for my life, maybe then they would get to the place where they say, I don't just want to change, but something has to happen. Something has to give. I can't go one more day like this. I can't walk one more mile like this. Something, it doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what it costs. Whatever it takes, I've got to have a change in my life. Talking about the power, the positive power of a need, the potential of a need. What makes a need so powerful is that by definition, it makes something no longer optional. It becomes absolutely necessary. And you'll be surprised what the human spirit can do when it embraces something as absolutely necessary. My God, when you internalize something as a matter of life and death, I don't just want it to happen, my God, but I need some. You'll be surprised what can happen. I think about here in the Houston area, we walk through what could be called a concrete jungle on a daily basis. And and it amazes me sometimes you walk down the sidewalks and you see in the tiniest of cracks, you see a plant growing in the tiniest of cracks. Or you might walk through some places and you see a tree growing through solid boulder, through, through solid rock, because there's something on the inside of a plant that says, I don't just want the sunlight, but I've got to have the sunlight. I don't just want the water but I need the water. I don't have any guarantees that I'll ever make it to the surface. I don't have any guarantees that it's going to work, but not trying is not an option. Not giving it everything I've got is not an option because I have a need. I might die trying to get there, but I have a need and I've got to give it everything that I've got. I've got to push with all my might. It doesn't matter what I have to give up. It doesn't matter what I have to fight through. It doesn't matter what I have to sacrifice. I have a need, and nothing else matters as much as my need. Ah, yes, God. Same principle applies to us in the house of God. Let me tell you that in addition to all of the desires that would conspire to keep us where we are, sometimes the biggest desire that we have to overcome is simply the desire to remain the same. That we found a comfort zone. We found the convenient. And sometimes the hardest desire to overcome is simply the desire to remain the same. But a turning point can happen in your life when you recognize a need for change that matters more than what other people think. It matters more than what is convenient. It matters more than what's comfortable. It matters more than what has become a routine in your life. And you say, no matter what it takes, I've got a need, and I cannot stay in this place another day. I'm preaching this morning that need normally has a negative connotation, but if you'll allow God to meet you at your time and place of need, need can be the catalyst for something great. Need can be the catalyst, the motivation that changes your life, that changes your family, that changes your church, that changes your city. In 2 Kings 
Samaria found itself in a distressed situation. They had been attacked by Syria. Syria had surrounded Samaria and cut Samaria off from all of its supplies. And Samaria found itself in a time of great famine and death. I can relate to this in Liberia. I talked about us being missionaries. We went through a civil war in Liberia, about 15 years of civil war. There's so many stories. But when I read this about Samaria being under siege, my mind goes to the city of Balmy Hills in Liberia, a, a historic city when it comes to the apostolic movement. But at one point in the war, the, the city of Balmy Hills found itself surrounded by fighters of, of some of the warring factions, and they were literally squeezing the life out of this city. They estimate that at one point they were losing up to 200 people every day to starvation. And so when I read this about Samaria being in such a distressed situation, I can kind of put names and faces People that I know who has experienced something similar to this. Samaria was in such a bad situation. The Bible says that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's about $400 in modern money for a donkey's head. The Bible says that dove droppings, they were eating dove droppings. And dove droppings sold for five shekels of silver. That's about $25 in modern day money for dove droppings. Things got so bad in Samaria that we find perhaps the sickest story in all of the Bible, where two mothers got together and conspired to kill and eat their own sons. And the first mother did as they had conspired. But the second mother, perhaps now, having been somewhat sated, she hid her son and didn't go through with the agreement, as unspeakable as it was. And the first mother was upset, and she went to the king And told the king what had happened. And this is what the Bible says happened when she talked to the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman. That he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked. And there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. There's something powerful happening here. Sackcloth is the cloth of mourning, despair. It's a rough, coarse goat's hair. It's designed to be uncomfortable. It's designed to be a constant scratching, uncomfortable reminder that you're in a place of despair, that you're in a place of pain and helplessness and hopelessness and mourning. And what was happening with this king was that he was waking up in the privacy of his bedchamber. And every morning when he was by himself, he would put on that cloth of mourning, that sackcloth, that rough, coarse goat's hair. But before he left the privacy of his bedchamber, He would cover the sackcloth up with the fine linens, the fine silks, the royal fabrics, the royal colors. So nobody knew what was happening underneath the fine kingly robes. But when he got this bit of news, he was so much in despair that he got to the point where he says, it doesn't matter what anybody sees. It doesn't matter what anybody says. And he pulled off the kingly robes. And for the first time, the people could see that the king had sackcloth on his body. I say all that to say this. That's exactly where the enemy wants you to be in your time and place of need. The enemy wants to get you to the place where you feel one way and you look another way. 
I don't mind telling you, I've been around church long enough. I know how to cover up where I am with kingly robes. I know how to cover up what I'm really feeling with kingly robes. I know how to present where nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows the hopelessness. Nobody knows the helplessness. Nobody knows the despair that I'm feeling. But I've come to preach to somebody that's not the will of God. That's not the plan of God for your time and places of need. I've come to challenge somebody in a time or place of need. It's not time to cover it up, but it's time to say, God, I've got a need, and I need you to meet me at my point of need. I need you to touch my mind. I need you to lift my spirit. I need you to touch my heart. I need you to encourage my life. I've got a need, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I've got a need, and I need you to touch me. I need you to reach me in my time and place of need. My God. When the people looked at the king, they saw the royal fabrics, the royal colors, but that's not what he was feeling. He was feeling the constant reminder that he was in a time in a place of helplessness and hopelessness. And that's not the plan or the will of God for his people. In the midst of all of this, the prophet Elisha had a prophecy. The Bible says, then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow, about this time, six liters of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. That's five dollars. And twelve liters of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. People must have thought the old prophet had finally lost his mind. Hunger makes him mad, perhaps. Here we are doing the unthinkable, eating the unthinkable, spending $25 for dove droppings. And you're telling us that in 24 hours, the finer things, six liters of fine flour will be sold for $5 at the gate of Samaria. You must have lost your mind. You see, I don't have much use for some of these so-called prophets These days, these ambiguous prophets with the ambiguous prophecies, God's going to do something good for somebody good sometime in the future. But I still love to hear when a man of God stands flat-footed, a woman of God stands flat-footed and say, I've heard a word from God. And I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what common sense says. I know what everything in your life is screaming, but I've heard a word from God. I've heard a sure word from God. God says he's about to step in. God says he's about to turn it around. God says he's about to do the impossible, and it's not going to take a long process. But one word from God is all you need. One breath from God is all you need. Does anybody hear the word of faith this morning? Tomorrow, around this time, God could have turned your ashes into beauty. Tomorrow, around this time, God could have turned your wailing into dancing. Tomorrow, around this time, you can have your joy back. You can have your peace back. You can have your purpose back. You can have your passion back. You can have your ministry back. And all it takes is one word from the Almighty God. My God, I feel faith in this house today. I feel faith in this house today. 
The enemy has been whispering death and destruction and despair and desolation. But I've come preaching a message of life. I've come preaching a message of possibility. I've come preaching a message of hope. My God. He says, tomorrow, about this time, the great prophet Elisha heard from God and spoke these words, these seemingly impossible words. But it was not the great prophet Elisha that made it come to pass. Because as while all of this is happening in the city, that we read what we read in our text. It's all simultaneously. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. We're going to die anyway. If they kill us, we're just going to die. How would you like to be in a situation like that? Their entire lives had boiled down to three options. We can go back to the city that we came from. We can stay where we are, or we can walk towards the enemy. All three options carried not just the possibility of death, but all three options carried the very real likelihood of death. They looked at their situation, and they said, if we go back to the city, more than likely we're going to die because the famine is in the city. People are dying in the city every single day. And if we stay where we are, more than likely we're going to die because we're dying where we lay. And if we go towards the enemy, more than likely we're going to die because that's what the enemy came to do in the first place. He came to kill us. No matter what we do, more than likely we're going to die. But I believe there was something down on the inside of these leprous men when they weighed their options and they looked at their situation and none of them seemed to be any good. I believe there was something on the inside of them that says none of these options seem to be good. But of these three options, there's only one that we haven't tried yet. There's only one direction that we haven't gone to yet. There's only one place that we haven't committed ourselves to being yet. Can I tell you in your time and place of need, it's not the time to entertain going back to the city where you came from. You almost died when you were there. And the enemy would like nothing more than for you to forget that you almost died where you were. The enemy would like nothing more than you to forget that people are dying every single day where you were. It's not time to entertain going backwards. And it's not time to be paralyzed where you are, but I wish that somebody would have enough faith to say in my time and place of need, I'm going to go forward to a place I've never been before. I'm going to try something I've never tried before. I don't have any guarantees. I don't know how it's going to work out. It might be a place of death, but it also might be a place of deliverance. It might be a place of defeat, but it also might be a place of victory. It might be a place of pain, but it also might be a place of healing. I might fall flat on my face, but I also might mount up on wings like an eagle, but I won't know until I try. I won't know until I go there. I won't know until I commit to doing something different. It might be a place of pain, but it also might be a place of possibility. But what have I got to lose? My God, at this point, what have I got to lose? And so these four leprous men got up and walked to the camp of the Syrians. 
And when they got there, the Bible says the camp was empty because God made the Syrians hear the voice of chariots and horses. And they thought an army was coming to save Samaria. So they ran for their lives and left everything in the camp. There's something uniquely powerful about a child of God who needs something to happen. There's something uniquely powerful about a child of God who throws himself or herself at the mercy of God. If God could do that with four leprous men, four men dying, deteriorating where they laid, imagine what he could have done with the hundreds or the thousands who were in the city. I submit to you this morning that those in the city had not reached this place of need that I'm preaching about. They were desperate, but they had not reached this place of need. Tell you full disclosure, when I first began to study this and think about this, I was first using the word desperation. It's time to get desperate. But I realized in looking at the word desperation that it's not really what I'm talking about. Because by definition, desperation is characterized by rash and reckless decisions. And so I realized those people in the city were desperate. You see, killing and eating your baby is a rash and reckless decision. It might buy you a few days, but it won't change your situation in any appreciable way. And what happens so many times, my God, we go from desperate decision to desperate decision. Robbing Peter to pay Paul, maneuvering. I can make it. I can stay here. You see, those people in the city were dying where they were, but they had deluded themselves into believing that they were living. So they were willing to do anything to stay. I'll do the unthinkable just to make it, just to stay alive. But those four leprous men were not under any false illusions. They looked at their situation. They said, we're not living where we are. We're dying where we are. And because of that, that takes me beyond desperation. With desperation, there's an indication I've got options. They might not be good options. They might not be pleasant options. But I can stay here. I can maneuver. But these men got beyond the place of desperation. And they say, I don't have any options. There's not, any, not even bad options. No matter what happens, I'm more than likely going to die. I've got to make a move. I've got to go beyond just the simple things. I've got to go beyond the mundane. But I've got to do something that's going to trigger the supernatural. I refuse to go from desperate decision to desperate decision. I refuse to try to stay here and survive and manipulate. But God, I need something radical to happen. I need a change. I need a lifting. I need to see the supernatural. I need to see the miraculous. You see, there's something courageous. There's something courageous about looking in the mirror and being honest enough. To say, I'm not living where I am. I'm dying where I am. It takes a great deal of courage to say, nobody knows it, nobody can sense it, but I'm not living where I am. I'm dying where I am. It's powerful to me that it was a group of lepers that reached this point. Because many times it's easy to sit in a group and not acknowledge where we are as individuals. Many times we get in a group, we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. We begin to say, yes, I have leprosy. And yes, I've lost some things. 
but I'm still better off than she is. I've lost some fingers. He's lost some limbs. We begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. Or we begin to say it's not so bad because we're all in the same position. We're all in the same boat. But there's something powerful. Sometimes all it takes is one person to stand up and say we're not living where we are. We're dying where we are. And that's not okay. And sometimes that spoken need can trigger action. And people begin to say, we can't go back to where we came from, but we can't stay here. The only option is to go forward to a place that we've never been before, a place that we might not be sure about. I can't say for sure what's going to happen when we get there, but I know what's going to happen if we stay where we are. We're dying where we lay. I've come to tell somebody, the enemy's been whispering, you're dying, so you might as well lay here and die. But I've come preaching a defiance into somebody's spirit. I want somebody walking out of these doors saying, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die like this. If I'm going to die, I'm not going to lay here until the enemy picks me apart piece by piece and limb by limb. I'm not going to lay here until I deteriorate and I can't do anything. But if I'm going to die, I'm going to die standing on my own two feet. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die facing the enemy. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die reaching for my destiny. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die reaching for my tomorrow. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die engaging the enemy. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to be what God has called me to be. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to do what God has called me to do. But I refuse to lay here and die like this. My God, I refuse to lay here and die like this. If I'm going to die, my God, I'm going to die trying to be and do what God has called me to do. And my need can cause me to move forward to a place where God has prepared provision, where God has the answers I need, where God has the strength I need, the healing I have to have, the deliverance that my mind and my spirit craves. I've got to hurry this morning. So the lepers ate and drank, took some silver. But then finally they said, wait a minute, we've got to go back to the city and tell somebody, What's happened here? You see, when you respond to your need, the way God wants you to respond to your need, you'll discover, much like these leprous men, that your need and your situation was so much bigger than just you. And these men were just trying to hope, they were hoping to save their lives, but they ended up being the vessels that saved an entire nation. Because after they responded to their need, after they responded to their need and they experienced the supernatural, they were able to go back to the city and say, yesterday, I was where you are. Yesterday, I was dying. There was no hope. There was no clarity. There was no peace. But I have gone somewhere new. I have found a place of provision. I have found a place of more than enough. I have found a place of the supernatural. And if you'll follow me, if you'll just follow me, take my hand. If you'll just follow me, I'll take you to a place of provision. If you'll just follow me, I'll take you to a place where God can meet every need. If you'll just follow me, I'll take you to a place of healing. If you'll just follow me, I'll take you to a place of purpose. If you'll just follow me, I'll take you to a place of destiny. 
The Bible says, then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So six liters of fine flour was sold for a shekel and 12 liters of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Just the way God said it was going to happen in 24 hours. The same denominations that God said it was going to happen, it happened. Hear me when I say that when God spoke those words to Elisha, God was not counting on the great prophet Elisha to bring it about. But when God spoke those words tomorrow about this time, God in heaven looking down was counting on four leprous men. Four dying, vulnerable, weakened, deteriorating leprous men. God in heaven was counting on four leprous men to look at their situation, their time of need, and make a move. Could it be that when God promised great revival to the city of Webster, that he wasn't counting on Pastor Hughes to make it happen? Could it be that he wasn't counting on the people who prophesied, whether in the past or currently, to make it happen? But could it be that God in heaven is counting on people under the sound of my voice? In times and places of need. To make a move that's going to trigger the supernatural. To make a commitment to go somewhere you've never been before. To make a commitment to walk in a dimension you've never walked in before. To make a commitment to try something you've never tried before. Could it be that God is counting? Maybe it's four people, but I wish it was 40. I wish it was 80. I wish it was 100. I wish it was 200 people who would look at their time and place of need and say, God, if you want to use my situation to do something great, I avail myself to you. I surrender myself to you. I lay myself on the altar. I'm going to go somewhere I've never gone before. I'm going to try something. I've never tried before. I might not feel like much. I might not look like much. Other people might say it's not possible. But if you desire to use me, I make myself available. I make my situation available. The point this morning is that there comes a point where we have to be brave enough to recognize and embrace our need and refuse in church to be like that king with the sackcloth covered up by kingly robes. <laughs> My God, I, I know what I'm talking about. I've been around long enough to know we know how to disguise where we are. We often don't give God the opportunity to do the supernatural, to work out the healing the peace that we have to have. But I'm telling you, when you respond to your need, when you embrace a level of honesty that says, I'm dying where I am. I'm not all the way dead. I'm glad about that because that means I can make a move, but I, I can't stay where I am. I can't stay here another month. I can't stay here another year. Something has to happen. And then you can turn your situation around and use it against the devil. The enemy thinks he has somebody on the verge of tapping out. The enemy thinks he has somebody on the verge of giving in. But 
but I've come preaching. You're right in the right position to begin to tap in to the strength of God. You're in the right position to tap in to the supernatural. You're in the right position to tap in to greater purpose, greater passion, greater power, apostolic anointing, apostolic authority. But it's time to make a move. It's time to make a move. And we stand all over this building. She out of God. I feel the presence of God in this house today. Somebody make up your mind in your time and place of need. My need is not going to push me backwards. My need is not going to push me back to the place that I've been delivered from. My need is not going to push me backwards in my mind and in my spirit. And my need is also not going to paralyze me where I am. I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear, by doubt, or by worry. But my need is going to motivate me. My need is going to propel me. My need is going to push me somewhere I've never been before. My need is going to drive me to the altar. My need is going to drive me to the throne of grace. My need is going to drive me to a place of greater purpose, a place of greater power, a place of greater relationship with God. If that's your feeling this morning, if that's your prayer, why don't you make your way down to these altars? Why don't you allow your need to drive you to the altars this morning? Somebody grab a hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, I've desired, I've desired to go somewhere higher. It's my desire to go somewhere deeper in you. It's my desire that my need will not destroy me. My need will not break me, but my my need is going to take me somewhere I've never been before. Come on, the Spirit of God is calling somebody. It's time to rise above. It's time to go higher. It's time to receive greater purpose. It's time to receive greater anointing in this house this morning. Come on, somebody, allow your need to push you. Allow your need to push you. Come on, there's healing in this house. No more sackcloth. No more sackcloth. No more despair. No more hopelessness. Let there be clarity. Let there be a freshness in this house today. Somebody lay your situation on the altar. Somebody make up your mind. I'm going to engage the enemy like I've never engaged the enemy before. I'm going to push like I've never pushed before.